This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM. T.O. Grey Hospital. Hello and welcome to another cup of Earl Grey Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Richard Marquez, and joining me as always is the incredible A.B. Nelson and the lovely Justin Ozer. <laughs> How you doing, A.B.? <laughs> I love it. I'm not the only one lovely one here, so it is nice that Justin is lovely. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> How you doing, Justin? <laughs> Thanks, Richard. Great to be appreciated, really. And and you totally subverted my expectations. So. <laughs> Always appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> well... We're not talking about switching roles here today, <laughs> so we have a bit of a Babel conference feedback for um, Earl Grey two two eight. That would be the enormous standard orbit and Earl Grey crossover, the final frontier versus Nemesis. <laughs> Amy, you want to start us off? Yes, Greg Malumbi says we need to get Amy Nelson and John Mills in a room and let them debate the finer points of Final Frontier and Nemesis. Man, I thought John was dedicated to his defense of the final frontier, but Amy might have beat. Good discussion. Well, thank you very much. And John, we should do that. Oh, yeah. I'd pay to see that. <laughs> you already do. Mm. Ah. <laughs> uh, but our listeners don't. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> so, uh,. Luke Sims Jenkins said, "Another great episode. Well done, all six of uh, all six of you. I th- uh, I think I think I like Nemesis. More. Yay! That made that Yay! made Amy's day. It did. Thanks, Luke. <laughs> uh, Corey Elrod says the Final Frontier is my go-to movie if I want to watch a light-hearted Star Trek film. I really enjoy it. I'm not a huge Nemesis fan. However, I really love seeing the Romulan Senate at the beginning of the movie. Great discussion." Thanks, Corey. Glad you enjoyed that. Well, we definitely had people who preferred the Final Frontier, preferred Nemesis, and they all had great things to say. So, yep, good. We point. tried to bring in a few uh, that are representative, but there was tons of feedback. We can't read it all here. And Johnson Lay said, "Love these crossover episodes with Standard Orbit. Thanks. Some interesting perspectives here, for better or worse. I wonder if Nemesis would have been better if Patrick Stewart played Shinzon." Nothing against Tom Hardy, but I never bought into the premise of him being a younger Picard. 
Stewart in the role would have shown the range from familiar to the polar opposite. Good point. Interesting to, to think about that possibility. <laughs> and uh, in addition to the Babel Conference feedback, we also received an email from a listener that I wanted to uh, read out here. Uh, it comes from Stefan Ringlein. Thank you, Stefan, for telling us exactly how to correctly pronounce your name. We really appreciate it. Uh, he's reading, writing... He's writing to us from Freiburg, Germany. Love it when our listeners outside the U.S. write to us. So he says, First of all, thank you for a fresh cup of Earl Grey each week. When I tried podcasts for the first time a few years ago, Earl Grey was one of the first ones I was checking out, and also my gateway to Trek FM. TNG is by far my favorite Star Trek series with a special place in my heart. I grew up in East Germany in the 1980s during the last years of the Cold War with the Iron Curtain in front of my hometown. After the breakdown of reunification, one of the first series during the start of the new era I remember watching as a nine-year-old boy was TNG. I was blown away by this appealing, through-and-through -through positive perspective of mankind's future. The captain being a French man felt very relatable. When I started learning French a few years later, the books we had in school were having a regular mention of the Picard family. Interesting. <laughs> now guess what the little son's first name was. Yes, it was Jean-Luc. The first and last names were never mentioned together. Until this day, I have no idea if that was a coincidence or not. I love listening to Earl Grey for many years now because both of you and the old hosts have a special personal relationship to TNG, which listeners can feel and relate to while enjoying their freshly replicated cup of Earl Grey. I especially enjoyed the tons of interviews with TNG actors, writers, and directors you guys did the last couple of months. Just when I thought, wow, it's hard to top that one, you did. Thank you so much for setting phasers to fun each week. Thank you so much for that email. We really, really, really appreciate it. <laughs> so glad you're enjoying it and uh, uh, all the perspectives and the interviews. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much for, again, like Justin said, your perspective and, and for taking the time to write us. It really meant a lot to us. So today's episode, we're going to be discussing character, our favorite character moments for season five. And this is a very... A, a great uh, season. I mean, I think we could all uh, agree that this is by far one of the, or starting to become one of the best. And um, I'm very interested on what Amy's going to say, because there's, there's going to be a lot of Troy moments <laughs> in this. I want to know how she ranks them and how, uh, how you're able to choose your favorite moment out of all these. What do you think, Amy? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, there are so many awesome Troy moments. Um, and everyone knows I love Troy. So I might have to throw in some sort of somehow sneak it in somehow. Um, but I wanted to start with um, for my first pick in Masterpiece Society, which is a Troy episode. Let's just be honest with that. Um, which ones aren't? <laughs> <clears throat> but... <clears throat> So in Masterpiece Society, in, in case you forgot, this is the one where they're, um, an asteroid's coming towards this planet they thought was inhabited. However, there is this colony of humans, and they have uh, genetically engineered themselves to be the best. This is Masterpiece Society. And uh, when they go down to warn them, and, and Jordy's down there, of course, as, as an engineer, uh, he gets told, well, we would never have anyone like you with a d defect, you know, and stuff like that. And so later on in the episode, 
We've got uh, Jordy and their lead engineer, scientific mind person, up on the starship, and they're trying to figure out how are they going to, you know, get this asteroid to not hit the planet. What can they do? And Jordy gives this little laugh of irony that is so perfect. I love how he does it. And they, he's like, oh, that's perfect. If the answer to all of this is in a visor created for a blind man who never would have existed in your society, no offense intended. I just, and that little laugh. Do you guys remember what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just think that is so perfect. And Jordy uh, LeVar Burton just delivers it perfectly. So I'm choosing that as my first for Jordy. That's a really good one. You know, since you were talking about Troy, I was like, where's Troy going to be coming back in here? <laughs> but but it's a Jordy moment, which is great. And it, it really is because there's that irony that there's that he is helping to save this society where he wouldn't have existed. So it kind of points up that they're missing out all of this potential within their society by trying to like breed to a certain level of what they think is, is perfection. So it's... Right, it, it's, it's great. It, and it, it it brings up the question of you know if, is it right to you know basically genetic testing you know or not testing editing, <laughs> which actually you know I just read something about that uh, recently that they're they're starting to experiment with that with other animals or something like that which you know is scary within of itself but I mean what else could go wrong with <laughs> but like um yeah it definitely brings up that uh, that idea is like you know do we keep do we keep those flaws in our own character? And, and, you know, there are things that, you know, within our own character that, you know, are good, are bad, but are good in, in another way. So, I mean, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, definitely. And I don't want to say an eye opener, but makes you think. Well, well, but, but now we're getting toward the point where you can do some genetic testing on, the child before they're born to see if they might have some sort of genetic defect. So like in Jordy's case, what if they had the ability to say, Oh, he's going to be born blind. You know, let's, let's fix that. Well, would he be right? a better, I mean, engineer? I mean, I mean, think of, I mean, just like what we said before about his visor, that everyone should have a visor. You know what I mean? Like, cause, cause you could see spectrums, other spectrums, heat signatures and all that kind of stuff. How useful would that be on a, um, actual, you know, away Although mission. it is mentioned that it gives him headaches and it's quite painful. Well, so okay, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, like but, it, it's useful, yeah, is what I'm saying. Yeah. But 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 also that that has shaped his experience. If mm -hmm. he wasn't born blind and didn't need the visor, he would have had a different life experience. So when you're getting to that point where you can really manipulate those those genetics, you're changing someone's the trajectory of their whole life. And on top mm -hmm. of that, he adapts to uh, to that visor as well. So that makes yeah. him mm -hmm. highly resourceful, or it can. Make them highly resourceful yeah. later on. Yeah. I mean, I, I I personally think that you know certain disabilities like you know like Down syndrome and all that kind of stuff should be eliminated um, uh, from. I mean, because no child should ever have, uh, should ever have to go through that. But like you know, um, but some disabilities, on the other hand, people overcome them and then become better people that way too. So I mean, not all, but I mean, some of them do. Yeah. I think it's a tough question that we haven't really resolved, like how as a society we feel about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously the the more debilitating ones definitely need to be. I mean, but I mean, who's to say that it's debilitating? You know what I mean? 
So anyway, <laughs> um, that's uh, that's a another deep subject. We don't want to go through wounded again <laughs> right now. <laughs> so let's go ahead and go with uh, Justin on this next one. Well, so the first one that I picked, it's from oh, wait, 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 wait. before we before. I'm sorry, Amy. Great pick. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sorry, I didn't. I, I didn't want to uh, unvalidate what you what your 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 pick. <laughs> well, it was a good pick because it brought on discussion. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead, Joseph. <laughs> well, so my first pick is from Redemption Part Two. So that's the at the beginning of season five, the concluding part with the the Klingon Civil War, and the the scene that I picked in in particular. Now, in in this um episode you know there's this uh armada of ships that starfleet has to to try to stop the romulans from having supplies and intervening more in the in the klingon civil war and data is given command of of a ship um and he has this interaction when he comes on board with lieutenant commander hobson who's supposed to be his first officer um and hobson is saying that he thinks he can't be a first officer for data in particular and you know, Data's asking, well, why is that the case? And he says, frankly, sir, I don't believe in your ability to command this ship. You're a fellow officer, and I respect that. But no one would suggest that a Klingon would be a good ship's counselor or that a, a Beryllian could be an engineer. They're just not suited for those positions. By the same token, I don't think an android is a good choice to be captain. And before I get to Data's response, I think, you know, this is season five, and we've seen Data go through all of these experiences and kind of change and, and learn. And I think he... Like when you first meet him in encounter at Farpoint, I think he he seems like he's very, very innocent. And if someone he'd been put in that position and someone had said that to him, he might not quite know how to take it. But immediately he says, I understand your concerns. Request denied. So he makes this like immediate command decision. And he's going to say, yeah, I understand how you feel, but your prejudice has no place in what we're doing here in this operation. So I'm just denying your request. You're just going to have to deal with it. You're just going to have to work with me. And, you know, by the end of it, when he's gone through all of this, that lieutenant commander has some admiration for, for what he's done and how he's handled the situation. So I think it's a great moment for Data in seeing kind of his his maturity in, in command and, and confidence in himself and knowing immediately what to do in that kind of situation, which could have thrown him off quite a bit some years earlier. See, I stayed away from redemption, and uh, you know, because obviously it's a favorite. <laughs> and I also stayed away from unification and the inner light, <laughs> and also Titan Zero, and then Ensign Row. <laughs> but like, uh, I yeah, I absolutely love that scene um, as well. I I just uh, yeah, it's it's a really it's a great. It's uh, it definitely shows how much data has grown since season one, uh, being this basically walking tool, not a tool, but walking computer. There you go. <laughs> um, it, yeah, and he's very. I mean, despite being in Starfleet for like twenty five years or something by the first season, he seems kind of inexperienced in how to deal with social relations. But by this point, through all of the experiences and all the episodes and things that we've seen him go through he knows what to do in that situation and that it requires him to have that authority and that they have to work together. Right, and it so. shows his personal growth. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a, re- that's a great example. Yeah. Yeah, I think he doesn't discount his this, this complaint that he has, um, but I think, you know, with his super uh, speed of com- 
computing things and it's like, okay, I've heard you, I've done the computations and yeah, your request is denied. And, uh, I, I think not having emotions, he doesn't have to deal with people second guessing him because for, for data, it just seems like, all right, chain of command. This is how we do it. I'm giving you an order and then you're going to follow it. And, uh, I, but I think he doesn't discount the, this, uh, complaint against him. You know, he basically politely said, suck it up. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he kind of does. But I mean, I think the, you're saying, Amy, it might have something to do with him not having emotions, but I think in that kind of situation, like if it was, it's hard to see this happening like in the 24th century, but if someone was like, I don't want to serve under your captain because you're from France, he'd be like, request denied. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, Picard would have the same response if that were possible. Somehow it's more possible that there'd be this prejudice toward androids, but. I could see probably yeah, prejudice against androids. I mean, especially when, when basically everything is automated, you know what I mean? Like then that's the actual personal, you know, interactions um, between, you know, basically you have, like I said, a walking computer that actually has personnel personality to it. So I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. I guess in the future. <laughs> anyway, I, I I just love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a good that pick. whole moment. <laughs> Very good pick. Data delivers it perfectly. Request denied. See, and that's also <laughs> what I did too. I stayed away from. Uh, I, I tried stayed away from data too, because <laughs> I had the feeling you were gonna pick up pick some good ones. So anyway, yeah. <clears throat> other way, there's some really good ones. So. So what I picked, um, I picked the new ground or new ground, and it's obviously. So if you guys don't know, this is the episode where, um, uh, what is it, the Soliton wave or or whatever uh-huh. it's called? Yeah, it is the one with the Soliton wave, so, and also Alexander gets dropped right, off. right, and then yeah, exactly, <laughs> Alexander gets basically dropped off by his grandmother. And because they're not active anymore, like they used to be when Worf was a kid, so um, that's basically what it is. And then the obviously the episode is him, like, oh, I don't want to be a, you know, I don't want him to be on here, and and you know, it's disrupting his life, work, whatever, you know, whatever it could be. So it's adding a, um, you know, a new element into his routine. I had a little bit cruder uh, analogy than that, but that works. Okay, (laughs) so. I'll use our, my imagination. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please use your imagination. <laughs> but like, um, it for this one, it doesn't come to like almost nearly the end where um, uh, Worf saves Alexander, and it's not re- it's not really anything anyone says. It's just how Worf embraces Alexander when he's coughing, and it looks like it's so he's like hugging him so tightly. And, and he just realizes that he uh, that he could have missed all of this, and uh, I mean, obviously, you know, later on down the road, we'll, we'll find out that you know, basically, he gets pawned out to a military school, and um, but like it really, it, I mean, if they would have changed the direction of that, I think it would have been a great moment to reintroduce Alexander and also give basically a wharf that softer side and a family for him to um to grow grow with and you know because i i can only imagine someone being the workaholic that he is and then have a family disrupt that so it it, it become that father figure that can relax from being that um highly disciplined and structured kind of person to a more Mm -hmm. adapting Mm -hmm. father so i think that would be great 
would have been great. Yeah, that, and that, that that's a really great pick, uh, Richard. I have a feeling on our next episode we'll have more to say about Worf and Alexander. <laughs> but but um, I, I think that, like, I've heard a criticism a lot, like, Worf is the worst father, isn't he? You know, people will say that. And I'm like, I don't know about that. There are times when he's not doing the right thing or he's making his mistakes. But also, like, if you watch all of their interactions throughout the the next generation, you will see those moments like the one that you've you've uh, put forward, Richard, where he's doing something to like save Alexander's life. He's giving him a hug. They're having like this moment between them that's more than just like sternness and can't you you know see honor is so important. But he's loving him as a father should love his son. So I I do like that moment and appreciate it. And I think that it doesn't get emphasized enough that he does have those moments along with the others where. He's trying to push something that Alexander doesn't want. So let's put a pin on that one for the father part, because <laughs> uh, next week we're going to be talking about fathers of TNG. So just FYI. <laughs> yep. We'll be we talking about Warp being a bad father, that is. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes good. Hey, good. Yeah, exactly. Amy? <laughs> yeah, that is a great pick. And, and you can see, I think, in this episode how much he struggles because he's so used to a routine. And then... Yeah, there's danger, there's this chance that he might lose Alexander, and he just rushes in, and Riker's, you know, Worf, what are you doing? Get back, at, you know, and and Worf just plows ahead. And because I think of, yeah, I could lose out on something pretty amazing, and this is my mm-hmm. child, and and I, I think that scene just sort of amplif- amplif- amplifies uh this change that Worf is having through this episode. Yeah, and, and also in that scene, you know, they're having <clears throat> difficulty taking this really heavy beam off of Alexander and Riker goes to get like a lever to help him out. But in the meantime, Worf's like, this is a really critical situation. He just like uses all of his strength that he can to just to just lift this this beam and and to and to save him, you know, in the precious seconds. So I love seeing that too. It's clear, I think, that that he loves him and and cares for him, maybe doesn't always know the best way to show it. But when things get critical, he's gonna do everything he can for Alexander, I think. Absolutely. All right. Well, so moving along. Amy, let's go with pick number two. Okay. Well, you sort of scared me there because my second pick (laughs) also comes from New Ground. Um, But this character is not a main character. Uh, I think we only see her in this episode. And I am talking about Miss Kyle, Alexander's teacher. Aha. Um, Yes. Uh, I really appreciate the position that she's in and how well she handles Worf. Um, It is so difficult as a teacher to inform parents that their little snowflake child is not behaving, isn't learning, isn't having the appropriate social interactions. Did you just say snowflake? She did. I did. (laughs) Okay, no, no, sorry. Go ahead, continue. Sorry. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. So, for to deliver that kind of news and information to parents who think that their child can <laughs> do, do any of those no parents wrong, listen to Earl Grey? <laughs> <laughs> and if you're these type of parents, uh, but I mean, how she, 
you know, comes at it is just very compassionate. You can see in her tone and in her eyes that, you know, she really wants to address the situation. She's not accusing, she's not blaming. Um, and you know, and she's like, well, he lies and Worf just, Oh, not my son. And (laughs) you know, or when Alexander steals the little model, that little thingy, you know, when they're on whatever, and it's like a little lizard on the yeah, table. Yeah, the or little something. lizard yeah. thing. And, and Miss Kyle, you know, says, Well, maybe you misunderstood. BS. Miss Kyle knew that he <laughs> stole that, but she's, she's reframing diplomatic. it, right? Yeah. She's reframing it as, Oh, maybe you misunderstood, which us, we teachers, we have to do that all the time. Maybe you misunderstood me. Do not cheat, whatever. Um, <clears throat> And so, and and again, Worf is like, my son doesn't steal. And then, bam, there it is, right in the pocket. Come on now. You need to trust your teachers. And I think Miss Kyle just, she does it so well. Again, like I said, no blaming, no accusing. Just here are no the shouting. facts. <laughs> let's, let's get your child back on track. Let's, you know, move forward. And I think she does a great job as a teacher. You know, that's actually oh, yeah. one of the things when I became a dad, um, that that was one of the things I did not want to be. I mean, uh, one of those parents said, um, <laughs> blame the teacher, basically. And yeah. it's like, because uh, it, it drives me nuts to see it, too. I mean, there's I mean, there's a couple of parents in Eva's, um, you know, uh, school that are, are in her class, I should say, um, are who. Hopefully they're not listening. I doubt it that they're listening. But um, <laughs> but like. Um, I'm not friends with any woman. It doesn't matter. So, um, but like, it, it's just, it's just amazing. It's just amazes me that, you know, you know, just call, go in there, you know, you know, on no one's side, I get it that you need to be on your child's side, but at the same time, your child's probably going to do some things wrong and your teacher is probably not going to more than likely not going to, unless there's some, you know, uh, some kind of problem that they don't like about the child for whatever reason. I don't know. I've never seen it yet. Um, but like, um, it's just, it, it just, it boggles my mind to see parents do that. It's like, uh, um, uh, okay. Like, like if I don't understand something, you know, like if it like, cause we went through the same phase with Eva, uh, uh, I think she was taking stuff from the classroom and, and we, and it was like small stuff and yeah. it was like, and it was like, um, you know, and I find it in her pocket and I'm like, well, what's this? And this was like first grade or second, I think it was second grade. No, it was first grade because she's in second grade right now. <laughs> no, 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 it was kindergarten. That's right. And it's just, it, it just, it just boggles my mind on how some parents just like, no, my kid could never have done that. Someone puts it in their pocket or something like that. I'm like, really? I mean, kids are not yeah. that deceiving. It, and 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 it's and it's not just Miss Kyle that's told him like he's stealing, he's lying. When Worf's foster mother Helena drops him off, he says. You know, he's not always telling the truth. He's like, my son is a liar. <laughs> like, um, it happens, you know, let's yeah. see what we can do about it kind of thing. So Worf has, I think the Worf has has real trouble um, dealing with that because, you know, in the Klingon culture, it's so important what your ancestors did, what your children do. It all reflects on everyone in the family, like down the generation. So he's, so I can kind of understand it. Like he has this pressure on him, but at the same time, it's like, People make mistakes. Surely yeah. Worf made mistakes too. He definitely did. You know, like he's a rambunctious child. He, 
uh, knocked over a lamp. But I mean, more seriously, I actually find out in Deep Space Nine that, you know, he accidentally killed a child when they were playing soccer. So there are all kinds of things that happen that hopefully would understand. But I think that he has trouble seeing that, you know, in parts of this episode. Yeah. And I just love how Miss Kyle, she doesn't, there's no judgment there. It's like, yeah, kids are learning who they are. And so we just want to make sure that they are, you know, okay, well, here's a bad decision. Here's a bad choice. Here's a bad behavior. Now let's see how we can improve it. Let's see how we can be better for next time. You know, I just, yeah, yeah there's no it, blame. It, it's a child for heaven's sake, you know? Yeah, it would have been interesting if we did see Miss Kyle again, like in a later episode, and you could see like how Alexander's really progressing in yeah. class, but I don't know if we really see that. But yeah, great, great pick, Amy. I wouldn't have uh, really thought of, of that, but yeah. but I always do admire what she's doing in each episode. I just didn't think of it as a character moment for this one, but it's a great pick. Very good pick. Thanks, Amy. <laughs> Thanks. And surely this te- she teaches some math, right? Because she's teaching all kinds of stuff. Oh, of course. We just we'll don't ever it see it moment. for some reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they get they get too much education in math and everything that they have to play with blocks and all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah. like kindergartens or something like that. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Uh, Justin, pick number two. Well, for my second pick, I also picked someone who is not a main character and also someone who you only see once Actually, you only see the real person once you see him in other forms otherwise. Anyway, so it's from the first duty. Uh, and this is the only time we see the real Boothby, who I love as a character, who's the groundskeeper at at Starfleet um, Academy, I guess. And we've heard about him a couple of times before this season five episode as somebody that I think Picard really admired and that taught him a lot. But we get to really meet him and see what he's like. It turns out he's a little cranky, but he's he's given this great advice. And I love, I mean, there are a couple of, of interactions with, with Picard in, in this episode, and we find out that um, that Picard had the, some of these, his own troubles at, at the Academy, um, and that Boothby had to kind of give him some, some tough love, and that Picard feels like he wouldn't have graduated at all without the advice that Boothby gave him. He's almost, sorry, Amy, he's almost like a, a groundskeeper slash counselor. He's <laughs> like the Troy equivalent <laughs> at the Academy, maybe. But no, I mean, it, really, that's that's what it what it seems like. Um, and, you know, he, and, and he says something like, he just made sure that Picard listened to himself. So he's not doing anything that's like really like elaborate or profound. Just somehow in, in this role... He comes across cadets that need some help that accidentally step in his flower bed or something um, and and just kind of talks them through what they're going through. I don't know. I think it's 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 an unusual but really great character. And I love seeing his interaction with Picard and finding out some of like his his wisdom in the way that that he does things in, in this episode. Hmm. I. What do you think? <clears throat> okay. Well, I agree with you. I think Boothby is an excellent, excellent character. Adds so much. We definitely can see how much that he has influenced Picard's life. Um, however, I I don't see that the relationship that Picard has with Boothby is as important to Boothby as Picard sees it. And I think... 
<clears throat> well, Boothby's seen thousands of cadets over exactly. a period of time. Exactly. Right? And so, and it reminds me, and, and I wish more students would come up and tell me, but I had one student come up and yeah, I taught him math for a year. He's a good kid. And oh, he likes Star Trek. So of course he'll always be in my heart. But, you know, he came back a couple years ago and told me about this one interaction that he claims changed his whole life. Like it turned him around. Mm -hmm. He joined the, oh shoot, the army. He joined the army. You know, he graduated. I mean, this kid was just derailed. And my one comment, he says, turned his life around and he started making better decisions, you know. And I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I was just trying to help this kid, you know, turn in his math homework. Mm -hmm. And um, and I, I sort of see that as Boothby where it's like, you know, there he's saying something, but it just clicked with Picard. And so he's going to remember it differently than I think Boothby would actually remember it. I, c I could see that. But I think that's one of, like that, I think that's one of the powerful things of, of teachers and of people like Boothby who are interacting with a lot of people and, you know, they, they might just do things in the course of their job or things that, that, you know, you're thinking about or a certain comment that can have huge impacts on, yeah. on, on people's lives going forward and have huge impacts on dozens, hundreds, thousands of people over, over the years. And, and I love that be, because, and we don't necessarily see that as as much in in the next generation where you have these figures like Miss Kyle or like Boothby that are having these tremendous impacts on people's lives just by like doing their jobs yeah, or just in by Boothby's being there. case just by being there and wanting to talk to people i mean and also in in the first duty it's it's Boothby that gives Picard kind of the inside scoop on Nova Squadron and who they look up to and how it works and that helps to kind of Picard in his investigation so i think it's a really fascinating character because you would think somebody like that just wouldn't really be of much importance but somehow with like his wisdom and experience and knowledge when he does have those interactions there's things that he can impart and things that he can tell people that that have huge repercussions and I don't know that that's what I like about it yeah I want to be as wise as Boothby he he is a great character and yeah well, clearly like you have him. a lot of wisdom of your own if students are telling you that you made, you know, a big positive impact on their lives, right? Yeah, it was very, yeah. it was very nice. <laughs> so thank you for what you do, Amy. Thank you. It's, it's important. It really is important. Teachers mold the minds of the future. For sure. Yes. <laughs> well, good. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that, for, uh, Amy. <laughs> um. Well, so <clears throat> my next one is another wharf <laughs> another wharf moment <laughs> oh really it is it is um it's ethics um right. and it's the entire episode i mean it's just uh so if you guys don't know about it uh so obviously uh in this episode the uh wharf goes on to an away mission and basically gets injured his spot it's actually in the cargo bay yeah, he gets hit by the barrel. Oh, you remember the barrel. Amy's bouncing the barrel? The bouncing yes. barrels need yes. we go down yeah, that again. Wait, wait, wait. I rewatched it recently. <laughs> yes, it bounces, but it's not that much. It's not like it bounces like five feet in the air. But, just a little bit. Well, yeah, but still. 
Come on, you want them to injure the stunt double that's down there? <laughs> I don't even think it was the stunt double. Actually, I it's, think it was him, wasn't no, it? No, no, it was. It was. Okay. I, I, I think I read they, they did have a stunt <laughs> double for that, but it was just like made out of styrofoam or something like that. Anyway, the one with the okay, barrel, but yes. you've got okay. a more important I, I point than mixed, that. Regardless, I remember the, I remember the whole na- entire episode. It's just, apparently I don't remember the first part. <laughs> but like, okay, so a barrel, you know, that's made out of styrofoam, that bounces, funny enough, um, breaks... Uh, basically war spinal cord and you know he becomes basically paralyzed from what the neck down i think from the neck yeah. down at the beginning yeah so um obviously in Klingon culture th- that they're supposed to commit suicide and it's supposed to be done by uh well yeah in a sense suicide but in a sense you know murdered by their best friend I guess that's probably the you call it assisted suicide assisted suicide yeah there you go well he's the one that's plunging the knife into him right Riker. Well, no, I think I think if I remember right, what happens is that there's someone there that hands you the knife and you do it yourself. Or oh, something. is it something right. like that? Yeah. Although if he's paralyzed from the neck down, I don't know how you do that. That's a good point. Anyway. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't do it anyway. <laughs> because he's just saying like, "Give me the knife." I think. But okay. Anyway. Well, but later he it's just his legs because he has his arms. Yeah, maybe he does have use of his arms. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe he does. Anyway. So, yeah. Okay. So, you know, assisted... Sorry, we keep interrupting. No, no, no it's fine. It's fine. Uh, so, assisted suicide, basically. Um, and I I love... Uh, so, this this episode hits me harder than any other episode on season five. I mean, mostly because it's, you know, it's it's sad, you know, that someone wants to commit suicide. And especially when you... And it kills me when, uh, when you have children. I mean, it's like you wouldn't want to... You wouldn't want to stay around. I mean, it, it's like, it, it's like, it's like what happened to Chester Bennington when he committed suicide. It was like o- over uh, Chris Cornell. It's like um, you have like, eight kids. You don't want to stay around for them. You know that bothers me. That really does bother me. And um, it's it's the same thing with uh, with Warp too. Is like you have a son that you just reconnected with, and yes, you lost your spouse. Um, I guess is is what you could call her. Um, mm-hmm. even though she didn't really take the oath, <laughs> but like, you know, y- y- this is the only thing that you have of her and you want to, you want to be rid of, you want to rid yourself of that. And I, I get it. You know, you'd be dishonored and whatnot, but like, I would rather, I mean, me personally, I would rather live and see my kid to, uh, to how, whatever age, uh, until I die or something like that. And, I, and that's what kills me is that, you know, that, you know, Troy doing her job. Finally. Oh, <laughs> oh more you were once. starting off so well, and then you nosedive. I'm just kidding. So, you know. Because it's interesting how many times you say Troy doing her job finally. It's more than once. <laughs> um, so, you know, Troy doing her job, uh, consoling with Alexander. And I, I just, I mean, I, I love how they pre- presented it. I mean, obviously, I'm sure it's not, it's not the greatest. To, for a child to go through that, but like you know, he doesn't understand what's going on. He's a kid; he doesn't know. He doesn't understand traditions. And then, of course, you know, if you go with it, he's going to hate Klingon traditions, and that's exactly what you don't want. Mm-hmm. And he he already doesn't like them. Exactly, right. exactly, because he can't be a father because he doesn't want to be dis. He doesn't want the dishonor to his son. Well, it turned out it doesn't matter. He was going to have it anyway. But like, it's just it. it and that, that's what that's what. This whole entire episode is basically, it's more about Alexander than anyone else trying to understand, seeing it through the eyes of a child that 
and when they had that conversation in sick bay basically said um you know uh hit the, the um it's it's more important for family um than to um than traditions to dictate the situation that he would rather have that surgery and be disabled if it does if it goes wrong and then obviously the uh the positive side would be that he'd have full function so and i absolutely love that i i love it when he communicates with his son um that you know yeah so <laughs> hits home <laughs> that's yeah. for sure so I really well, and it's it. interesting because we wouldn't even have Alexander in the mix if it weren't for Riker because Worf asked Riker to, you know, perform the ceremony right. with him. And, you know, tough spot for Riker. And then in doing some research, he's like, ah, oh, guess what? You got a son. It goes to him. So wash my hands of that and <laughs> move on. Basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so for, I think it is a really good episode. I think that they end up, like putting things into into a position where it's like Worf could keep living his life and he might be paralyzed. Um, it, but in his society, they think, well, I'm not useful anymore. I need to commit suicide. Um, I, I, I think that like the, there's a certain perspective that we can have on it, but Worf's perspective as a Klingon perspective, I think is something that's that's different. And I feel in a certain way like they're well it's interesting because picard is like hey this is his tradition and and when he's talking to Riker, and this is what he wants to do so who are we just to say that he can't of his own free will try to do something like that and Riker's really struggling with it but it feels like they put it into a position where it it, it seems like you know he he has a son he could keep going in in his life and that this seems like really the the wrong decision to make and i think as good of an episode as it is, it obscures in some ways how assisted suicide is more traditionally like used or, or seen, which is someone toward the end of their life and they're in you know a lot of pain and suffering and just want to not have that anymore. So they put like it into this situation where it's assisted suicide, but it's different, I think, than what would normally ac- actually happen. So I... I I have a little trouble with it because I feel like they're coming down on a certain side. And and like for me, I feel like I'd have a lot of trouble even contemplating that, even if I was in a lot of pain and suffering, like actually ending my life like that. But if someone, you know, of their own free will wants to make that decision, I think they should be able to to do that. So I don't know, I just have some conflicted feelings about the the episode. Well, and I think it's interesting because you know, we just talked about, you know, earlier with Jordy Visor and his disability. Mm-hmm. And now we've got Worf is now being perceived from his culture and traditions that now he's disabled and therefore is not mm-hmm. a contributing member of society. Like these themes keep popping up and it's like, yeah. And, and I think of, <clears throat> uh, what's the one with the Luwaxana and, uh, D- David, the mash guy. And he's going to. Oh, you think of Half a Life? Yeah, Half a Life. With Timison. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and because, oh, you've reached this age and therefore you can, you're going to be a burden on your family and therefore not productive member of society. It's like, you know, Mm -hmm. what are these lines? What's causing, you know, these themes to keep coming out? It's like, you can be productive, you can have a life. And who's to say if it's full or not? Definitely not others. This is your life. You know, and so I just, I find that theme interesting, especially in season five. 
Yeah, it does seem to keep coming up. So, and and I and I know Richard, this is um, something that really hits home and means a lot to you. And I don't, I'm not trying to, like, you know, Go ahead. knock that down at all. I, I'm just giving my own my own opinion of what I think of of the episode. I think it's really interesting and brings up a lot of of great questions. No, and I agree. And I, I agree with you. You know, this this is something that my wife and I have talked about. Uh, several times, you know, dealing with suicide, you know, I, I personally don't um, see the practicality of it uh, when it comes to, like, if you have a family. Now, if you don't have a family and there's nothing left and you're, everyone that you know is gone, I can see that. I really could. I mean, I'm not opposed to it, but at the same time, it's like, you know, if you have something here, you would think that your family is you know, far more important to stay around for, or at least that's how I see it. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm a family man. Mm. I mean, and always have been. It's just, you know, despite my difficulties with my own family, I, I'm not gonna end my own life for you know because of my of of, of something like that of something like that. So it's just me. Mm-hmm. It's just how I. It's just how I see I see it. And you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinions. I mean, uh, by all means, I. I wasn't offended at all. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I and I feel much the same way that that you do. I think there are others that that might feel differently for certain situations. So. Well, absolutely. And you know, yeah. sometimes those demons on the inside, um, you know, beat you and you know, it's unfortunate. Well, I mean, there's there's two different things. I think there's someone that's committing suicide because things are so difficult in their life and they feel like they can't take it. And then there's someone taking the step of assisted suicide, where it's like I. I mean, a lot of pain and suffering, like, help me to right. get released from that. Uh, absolutely. So. And I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I absolutely. Yeah. I think we just passed that law not too long ago. Yeah. It's just a suicide. In Colorado. Yeah, in yeah. Colorado. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think it just happened. I don't know. I'll look it up. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, Getting into some deep stuff. I know, right? <laughs> uh, Season uh, five. The wounded part two. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's move along. <laughs> Before we get into another deep conversation. <laughs> so, um, Amy, uh, let's go with your last pick. Well, it actually sort of ties in. I was like, oh, you guys are talking about the little demons inside of you. Well, Luoxana recognizes these little different, thousand different kinds of little people inside of us in the cost of living. And I, I know this is an episode uh, that is fraught with um, issues and things to complain about. However, I really do like Luoxana in this episode, and so I'm choosing her for my third character moment. Um, I love her interaction between her and Alexander, and she imparts her own wisdom uh, to Alexander, you know, by talking about these little voices and these little people that we have inside of us and, and that we want to... Uh, never be afraid of them and take them with us, you know, because that is who we are. You know, we're not one dimensional. We have multifaceted perspectives and and how we view life. And she's really teaching Alexander this. But my favorite is at the very end. And I think when she finally decides that she is giving up too much to marry uh, this this man who is... <clears throat> a complete jerk, if you will, uh, <laughs> insert a stronger word, but, um, <clears throat> and I love how she comes into the wedding in her betazoid traditional, which is naked. 
and mm. just, you know, because there's so many times in my life where it's like, okay, I've made a decision. I'm not going to do this. But then Luoxana takes it a step further and is like, booyah, take this. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like when you quit a job, how do you quit a job? Are you going to go out with a bang or just take your well, hopefully final not arrive paycheck, to work naked <laughs> you know take your final paycheck and and leave like Luoxana doesn't do it I love that about her personality mm-hmm. and it's like you know take this we are not getting married this is my traditions and go yeah. suck it you know I just <laughs> I I love Luoxana in this episode and then her very last comment to Alexander, Uh, She says, isn't it wonderful how things worked out, Alexander? I wanted to teach you how to grasp the joys of living, and then you turned around and taught me to not let go of them. How very mutual. I just, I think Luoxana is brilliant, and she's a great character, even in this very flawed episode, Cost of Living. Yeah, I I, I like Luoxana in in this one as well, although I don't think she needs to be in a mud bath naked with Alexander. But aside from that... <laughs> flaws. Um, like I she, said, there's flaws. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think what what's really great is, I mean, it, it's not only that she's trying to sabotage this wedding. At the end, she's really saying, this is who I really am. If you can't accept that, this isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. And if by some miracle, this this kind of jerky guy, Campio, who... I, I mean, we could characterize him as a jerk, but I think he's restricted by things in his own culture this guy from this very different kind of strict culture, um, if he had miraculously been like, you know what, that's okay, let's go forward. But I don't think she expected that response. But she is really saying, here's who I am. And it's kind of like Alexander has taught her that in the course of her trying to make him more carefree and see who he really is. He's taught her, you need to be who you really are. You shouldn't be getting married just because you're not married right now. It should be because you love that person and it means something to you. And if they can't accept that, this tradition and this... I mean, like in a certain way, it's the Betazoid tradition to go naked to your wedding. But that's kind of like what Waxana is. It's like, here I am, you know, you don't... There's nothing... And, and like symbolically, like there's nothing between... Um, who she like who she manifests herself as and who she really is like everyone who sees her they know who she is whether they're annoyed by her or not like nobody can say oh what that locks on a i don't she's really mysterious she's hiding behind something I and mean, she's almost always being really herself and that really points it up she's going to be herself and if he can't accept it too bad mm-hmm. hit the road jack <laughs> 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 yeah i i really like this episode it's really well i mean obviously besides the flaws you know, it generates some of my favorite ones. You know, Warp is not amused, especially when he's in that mud bath. <laughs> oh, he's in the mud bath at the end. That's great. You just sit here. <laughs> yeah. no, no making bubbles. <laughs> and Ooh. it's funny to know that online dating still exists in the 24th century. Uh, why wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, can it please go away? I'm done. <laughs> it's because it's because of online dating that I've been married for 13 years. So I'm there you go. Happy, happy with it, but <laughs> it doesn't work for everyone. There's a lot of Worf and Alexander in these picks, aren't there? Yeah. There are. There are. <laughs> I, I, and I was just thinking about it when I was going through it. It was like, I mean, besides the core, you know, stories, I mean, really, it, there's a lot of development for Worf. There really is. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, moving along, Justin, your pick number three. All right, so for my third pick, 
hold on here, let me get to that. Okay. So for my third pick, it comes from Disaster. We've talked a little bit about this episode before. I like it a lot. There's this disaster, this quantum filament that hits the ship, and a lot of parts of the ship are, are cut off. But I wanted, what I wanted to talk about in particular is Picard with the children in the turbo lift. Because, you know, a lot of times prior to this, and especially in the early seasons, it's clear he doesn't like children. He doesn't want to be around them. He's very awkward around them. And in fact, like toward the beginning of this episode, it's like, oh, yes, I'll take you on a tour. And he's still kind of a little awkward. But when the situation happens, they're cut off from the rest of the ship. They're stuck in the turbo lift. And Picard takes control of the situation. He makes sure the kids are calm. And he even, like, at, at one point gives them, like, a little command structure, which is cool. It's like, you're my science officer. You're my radish officer. Okay, which is silly. But <laughs> um, he he gives them a sense of, of purpose and, and calms them down. And he's going to, like, do everything he can, just like any other crew member. And he's going to, to, to kind of treat them on, on his level, like, okay, what can we do to get out of this situation? What can we do to help each other? And I just love seeing that interaction. And also when he when they're, you know, climbing up this turbo shaft and it's really kind of dangerous, he has them start singing this climbing song, Frere Jaca, which I think is really great. It can get them into, okay, this is something I'm familiar with. I've learned this in school. We're going to be okay, even though, you know, the lift's falling and all this stuff. I just love that whole sequence, and it, I think it says a lot about, like, how far he's come. And at the end, when they present this, like, commemorative plaque to him, he's really gracious about it, and I don't think he's as awkward. He's like, oh, thank you so much. You know, I really appreciate everything. So it feels like kind of a a, a turning point. And also, I think, feeds into the inner light later where he's more accepting of, like, being this family man. So I, I really love all of those moments with Picard and the children in Disaster. Yeah, a lot of these episodes are definitely, um, you know, precursors before we get to those, you know, real, real good stories. Like, like I said, inner light, you know, this is a great story to soften them up for children and, and, and um, basically... like. I guess uh, to be more caring and uh, charismatic than, and with and then of course inner light happens and it's, you know, a home run. So yeah, I definitely I definitely love that moment <laughs> that he's um, you know connected with those kids in a, in a time of crisis that very well could you know those kids who would be panicking if he wasn't there, <laughs> or mm-hmm. they're at another part of the ship. Uh, yeah. But yeah. I mean, it, it, and part of it is just his command experience. He might do that with, with anybody, and it doesn't matter that they're children, but I think he builds a certain bond, mm-hmm. and he puts things in a certain way to make them feel at ease. Right. I mean, he is talking with them somewhat differently than he would if it was, you know, adult officers that were in the turbo lift with him. So he's he's knowing enough to, like, adapt and adjust to that, but still, you know, treat them as people that are, you know, worthy and that he he's just going to do everything he can uh just like with with anyone else so yeah yeah i love that you pointed that out i was gonna say the same thing i think it just it really shows why captain picard is is my favorite uh captain but like he draws from his own experiences obviously as being a leader and he draws out the best even in these children, which we know that he doesn't like dealing with, you know, and so how great is Picard for doing this? And, and he just, he really does get the best out of these children. He calms their fears. He takes their mind off of the situation. You know, he gives them a purpose. They're singing a song. He's developing this, 
this bond that happens in times of turmoil and those kids I think will be forever influenced and and I think it also influences Picard like you say we see in inner light like he really uh exemplifies what it means to be a leader in any situation even with people these mm -hmm. children that he's not comfortable you know he puts that aside to handle the situation and the crisis that he's in. Well, it's interesting. You said that he'll he'll affect them for a long time. It's like he is their their teacher in this crisis, yeah. right? Like what we were talking about, how teachers with like a moment or something that happens in a certain day can change things forever after. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Right on. Well, good uh, good pick uh, there, Justin. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> so uh, my final pick. I picked hero worship and it's not really, I mean, obviously it's, it's more data uh, central uh, centralized, but um, like, but um, it's more about the kid that he saves. So this um, episode is basically about um, what is the ship called? Um, uh, the ship stays not important. <laughs> so this, uh, so the enterprise uh, rescues this ship that um that basically was destroyed by this wave this uh, harmonic wave because their shields were whatever emitting it uh, too much energy the vico i looked it there up it's the vico there you go there you go <laughs> so this this ship is obviously destroyed um as they say you know some of the decks are exposed to space and all that kind of stuff so this kid happens to have like a paper mache like beam on him and it's probably a paper mache beam <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's stuck, and of course Data saves him, and then now he wants to emulate him because he lost his parents, and he basically, um, because Data doesn't have any emotions, emotions, quote-unquote, um, that uh, he wants to be like him so he doesn't feel the pain of losing his uh, parents. I absolutely love this for, I mean, granted, like, you know, Data doesn't show really emotions, or at least... Um, that's what we were always told, which I actually disagree with, because actually I, I do believe that there are several emotions that he shows. Yeah, I think I think he doesn't show emotions as strongly. Right. It, we, well, <laughs> I, it, even still, it is. I'm it, a purist. He doesn't have emotions. <laughs> I, I, I think it would be in his in his way. The, he the does. way that he is in his yeah. way he does. In, in his way, yeah. he has certain kinds of emotions or certain kind because he. I don't know. I think we've talked about it. he does care about certain like creative endeavors and doing things that aren't strictly necessary to being a Starfleet officer. So there's some kind of emotional attachment, I feel. Yeah, but, and I, I agree. That's it, a discussion for another day. Okay. I'm going to rebuke, rebuttal that, but continue, okay. Richard. Sorry. A, a future episode. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I believe that, you know, with Timothy being trying to be an android and not be, uh, you know, have that emotions, it's just his way of coping and, you know, losing his parents. Now, the, uh, the scene that I, I absolutely love is the ending where, you know, he actually realizes that he can't be an android and he has to he has to basically face the loss of both of his parents that were killed on the Vigo. So I just absolutely love that Data sits right next to him and talks with him and, really, and basically befriends him right there after he asks him uh, how how everything is, and, and obviously, you know, he lost his parents. It sucks. He's depressed and everything. Yeah. So um, I absolutely love 
that he made a friend there, and it's just it, it, it this. I mean, it's more it's more of this kid, but I mean it it's it, it that that kid was able to at least you know have that kind of coping um, and try and try to deal with um, a difficult situation, and he finally came to grips that he can't be that way, like an android, and you know befriends um, Data in the end. So I really do. Like Amazing it. that he was allowed the freedom to do that. Through Counselor Troy. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, you're all talking, and I'm like, oh, this is a Counselor Troy episode. (laughs) I forgot she was in this. What? (laughs) I was just kidding. (laughs) Why haven't you picked any Troy moments yet? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. But, um, yes, Troy has a role in it. But, like, if you look at the the end scene, I I love that as, as well, Richard, where... They've been through this, and I, I love that Timothy's asking, you know, can we do things together even if I'm not an android? And Data says, I have many human friends. I would be pleased to count you among them. It's kind of funny that Timothy, Timothy says, that would be acceptable. <laughs> but, yes. but, like, they, they have this really great, like, bond and friendship, which I'm unhappy that we didn't see more of. Like, you didn't see them interacting together later, but... Um, I do think it's a, it's a really good episode. Like in, like in, I think in, in its quiet way, it's, it's Timothy kind of like finding his way to work through this grief and finally accepting it and data, you know, helping him through that process and Troy, sure. Um, but I think a, a lot of it is data helping him through that process and really kind of being the friend he is really being the friend that he needs throughout the episode and is somebody that timothy's emulating so yeah, yeah. i think it's, it's it's a great pick and i don't know i do apologize the actor who plays timothy but man he is so good so good <laughs> no i i am impressed when they have you know child actors and they do such a really good job it's like okay you're gonna be like an android without emotions in this scene go you know like i'm sure it took more than that but but yeah they're doing like a really i think by and large the child actors they got for the next generation do a really good job with all of these different kinds of unusual roles right mm-hmm. i'm sure these are child actors that haven't had a role where it's like a boy who's lost his parents and acts like an android like okay yeah <laughs> that's different than what i've done before so well, but yeah he does every a good job. child actor except for one <laughs> Come on, I made sure not to choose any Wesley moments. <laughs> I had to add it in there. <laughs> <laughs> Every episode, sure. Anyway, we're going to talk about him next week, though. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I won't be here for that one, will I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you will. Oh, <laughs> uh, will I? Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> anyway. So, um,. Do any of you guys have uh, any honorable mentions? Because I didn't have I any. I do. Go ahead. I do as well. Go Definitely. Uh, we cannot forget Math playing a character in Next Generation. So I do have my honorable mention. Uh, it comes from Darmok. And I really, hmm. for some reason, I've missed it. But when I was watching it through again, I'm like, oh my gosh. So we have the... Uh, Enterprise, they, what do they do? They find this standard mathematical regression that is being sent out by the children of Tama. And 
there it is, mathematical regression. And I was thinking standard. So does that mean arithmetic or geometric? I don't know. My brain sort of went off going, but uh, so I love this idea. And it reminded me, have you guys seen Contact with Jodie Foster? Who hasn't yes. seen Yeah, it sort of is that same thing. Like intelligent life is is sending out these math, you know, problems, in this case, a mathematical regression. And, you know, be, to show that there is intelligent life out there. I mean, mm-hmm. what more beautiful character could we have? Just yeah. wonderful. Well, speaking of contact, have you read the novel by Carl Sagan that the movie was based on? Oh, no. You have to, because it gets even deeper into that math side of it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> I actually show uh, that part in Contact, just a little snippet, um, when I start talking about prime numbers, because they do that. Mm-hmm. You know, they realize that it's prime numbers. It's not natural. There must be intelligent life. And so that mm-hmm. that same thing shows up with Darmok, where they're trying to figure out, you know, are these people intelligent? Well, yes, because they're sending out this this math. So, mm-hmm. but you've got to read that novel. It's it's pretty incredible. Okay. Yeah, but no, that that's. I love that you pick up the math moments because I wouldn't have picked that up or thought about that when watching Darmok. Because <laughs> um, uh, right, you know, thinking about all the other stuff that happens in it. <laughs> yeah, it's a great episode and just another reason that makes it so wonderful. There mm-hmm. you go. Math as the character. There we go. Yes. Amy never disappoints <laughs> when it comes to math. <laughs> okay. Uh, was that, is that all you had? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Justin? I have one. How could we do a season five character moments without talking about Ro? Right? <laughs> oh, man. Her again? Oh, is it, wait, is this it the is moment that they're Riker kissing? Moment. No, no. <laughs> Don't no, even no, no, no. bring that don't, don't, up. Don't, 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 don't soil the moment, that, because this is a good moment. <laughs> okay, 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 yes. Agree. All right. So this is from the next phase. Mm-hmm. I love that episode. It's this is good. the one where Jordy and Ro kind of get out of phase. At first, they think maybe they're dead, but you know, there's this Romulan experiment, all that stuff. But so they, they go through all of this. They're brought back into, um, I, won't, I, I don't want to say into existence, back into phase, I guess, so that people can see them. And what I love is the very end of the episode where Ro and Jordy are in 10 forward, and they're kind of talking about the experience. Um, I mean, first of all, like earlier in the season, Jordy said that Ro didn't even deserve to be in a Starfleet uniform. And now here he is after this experience that they've gone together gone through together and where they're working together and they're kind of intent forward just like you know reminiscing about it as as friends i think and so what what i i'll, I'll just read out the, the 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 line so so rose says i was raised with bajoran beliefs and i even followed some of the practices but i never really believed in a life after death and then suddenly i was dead and there was this other life and that made me feel like i'd been pretty arrogant to discount everything i'd been taught you know now I don't know what to believe. So first of all, like, you know, when we first see see Rose, she's very kind of, you know, bitter about some of the experience that she's had and and she's clashing with a lot of the crew and kind of, you know, getting into to a, a, there's a lot of hostility toward her and all of that. And I think as we talked about before, you know, gradually over the course of a couple of seasons, she's getting to know the crew more, they're, they're friendlier toward her. But still, I think there's kind of this like arrogance or, or confidence, except in part of disaster when she apologizes to Troy. But like she's been through this experience and she's 
kind of admitting some some humility and then and then Jordy says hmm well maybe we should develop our own interface device if it can teach Rolaren humility it can do anything and they laugh I mean I I just love that that moment where she's gotten to the point where she's feeling comfortable with the crew even with someone like Jordy who was very hostile to her even being in Starfleet at all and they can have this great laugh about that and and get together as friends so I just I love that moment and it says a lot about Roe and how far she's come but it also says a lot about Jordy because I think that like he can kind of adapt to things and accept someone after a certain period of time he's not just going to be like you know rigid and hostile toward them no matter what so yeah I really like yeah what you said about Roe or it's like you know, when you can laugh about yourself with others, like mm-hmm. you're only going to do that around friends because, yeah. you know, you guys tease me and it's all fun. And yeah, you're laughing at me. I mean, with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with yeah, you, with you. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you're not going to laugh at yourself amongst strangers or against, you know, people mm-hmm. who, you know, you're not friends with because you're going to get defensive. What? What? No, no, you know, and so to see that transition, I think it is really uh, awesome that she's now, yeah, letting her guard down, that she is laughing at herself a little bit more. And yeah, like I said, be becoming humble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good arc for her because she comes off, you know, so distant, so removed from the crew that 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 is a great arc for her. Mm. Yeah, and at the beginning, it's almost like she's like a disobedient teenager, like, Ugh, I can't believe that you're making me do this kind yeah. of thing. She doesn't want to be there at all. But now she's just kind of like an integral part of the the crew, and she's been through this life-changing experience with Jordy. So, yeah. So I guess my honorable mention character moment will be Troy. <laughs> um, I think in this episode, as we pointed out, she does a lot of good things counseling. And I've always thought that Troy's purpose was to counsel the captain and that later on in the seasons that she was there to counsel the crew. And I really like in, again, Masterpiece Society, like she is in with Captain Picard in their, in his ready room And he is asking her advice. She's been down on the planet. She's reporting back. She's giving her uh, professional, uh, not decisions, her professional opinions on the stability of the people and stuff like that. Like, to me, that is the essence of why we have Troy. She, in my opinion, is there to counsel the captain The crew is secondary. She's there to support the captain, to give him the information that he needs to make the best decisions. And I think it is exemplified here in uh, Masterpiece Society. You know, so one thing that bothers me about Troy is that she's only one person. You don't see any more counselors (laughs) for a crew of a thousand. (laughs) But I think there, there is a mention at one point about her counseling staff. Yeah, maybe well, one. Well, we never see mention. it. So, but we don't yeah. see it. If I don't see it, well, it we don't exist. see hardly any lower deck people. Well, I think that's why Amy's comment about counseling the captain makes oh, no. more yeah, sense because well, it's one we, person. If we but. saw, if we saw multiple counselors, just you know, just for a meeting or something <laughs> like that or whatnot, then yeah, I could see that. But like, yeah, I, I agree with Amy. Yeah, she's de- he's definitely. I'm sorry, she, <laughs> she's definitely um, the counselor basically for the uh, for the captain, and you know. 
Could you imagine if you had a workload of a thousand people plus? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god! It wouldn't be possible. No, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Because I think what the threshold is probably what like twenty. <laughs> so I don't know, but I don't. I, I mean, I'm not a counselor, so I wouldn't know. So, but I mean, I could only imagine uh, keeping all those stories straight, and then on top of that, um, dealing with all those kind of issues that that are going on. So, especially aboard a family ship. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, and they. I don't think they resolve it in Deep Space Nine either because Ezra is supposed to be a counselor there, but you just see her. <laughs> you don't that's see like anybody point, else yeah. that's supposed to do it, right? Yeah. But but yeah, I don't know why. And well, and then of course, the you know, it was introduced in The Next Generation. Voyager apparently doesn't have a counselor <laughs> and uh, NX-01 doesn't. Discovery doesn't seem to. So, I mean, it, it seems like they're talking about it as this concept that's just recently introduced. I can understand mm-hmm. Around the time of The Next Generation. One. You know, because... The NX-01. It was minimum. Is, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was a, min- it was a minimalist uh, starship. You know, they didn't know what they were going to need. <laughs> Whereas, you know, like Voyager, yeah. you have, all, of all things, a, sci- a long-range science vessel. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. You're going to need that. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think your comment, Amy, that, you know, originally Troy was there to counsel Picard is interesting because before you'd mentioned that recently, I'd never ever thought of it that way. I always assumed it was like, oh, she just as a counselor for the whole ship. But well, and we that see that develop sense. more, you know, for the whole ship. I mean, she does so much with Alexander, yeah. with Worf, and, and, you know, hero worship. And, you know, we see her more in this counseling, but I still, in my head canon, yeah, that's her side job, if you will. Her main job is is there for Captain Picard. And, and I think it sums up nicely in uh, Nemesis at the wedding scene. We don't need to go into the whole movie, but, you know, where he, you know, is toasting her and recognizing and, you know, saying how much counseling and help and support that she has been for him. And and that's that's how I see Troy. Okay. Well, that works for me, too. <laughs> so let's move on to final thoughts. Let's start with you, Amy. Oh, okay. Well, season five. Oh, my goodness. So many good, good episodes. I just going through the list and I was with my brothers on the couch and I'm like, well, which one should we watch? And every single one. Oh, that one's good. Oh, that one's good. Oh, that one's good. And there are so many good character moments that we could have talked about. Just the little tiny interactions, you know, the looks that we get from each of the characters and their interactions with each other are so good. And there's so much history, especially by season five, that each moment I just I just treasure. And I think season five Really, even I know people don't like cost of living, but like there's so much good in each of these episodes. I think season five really um, gives us a lot of arcs that we get to see in the characters. Um, I just I'm very I'm I'm glad we got to discuss it, but sad that it's season six next week because season five is so good. Well, not, not next no, week. not next week. Next time. Next time. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, going through, it's like, oh, can we just spend a little more time in season five? It's so so good. <laughs> Justin. Yeah, I, I think I've said before that season five is my favorite. I've come to wonder about that whether it might be three or four instead. But there, there are so many great episodes. I mean, there are ones that we didn't even really 
choose picks from, um, like, you know, Ensign Rowe or the Inner Light or Iborg or Time's Arrow or, you know, cause and effect, right? I thought I actually thought for a brief moment, maybe I should just choose three moments from cause and effect, all of them slightly different, but I decided. Oh, that would have been so funny. It would have been funny, but it wouldn't have led to great discussions we've had today. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, there's lots of great episodes, lots of great moments. I mean, it is tough because when you have like 26 episodes, there's so much. And sometimes you're taking a little piece of it or sometimes a full episode. And there's so much that you can dig into. And I mean, I think that's why, you know, this is episode 230 of Earl Grey. We've gone, you know, beyond, you know, 176 episodes of The Next Generation plus plus four movies. But there's, I think there's always things to talk about because you can always see a scene in a different light, see a character in a different light, make comparisons. So I, I think that's what's what's great about Star Trek and continuing to look into and examine these things. And we've gotten into some, you know, some deep topics like like suicide today that I don't know if I had anticipated we would be talking about today and also you know some some other things math moments I probably anticipated that but <laughs> there's just a lot of great stuff that we got into so I always enjoy this so much and yeah we have to move on from season five to other seasons in the movies but there's always going to be things we take from this season that we talk about right on right on yeah I absolutely love um season five it's it's i mean it's i mean season six is one of my is is by far one of my favorites uh but like yeah season season five you know definitely showed it's really uh uh how how good the show has been uh i mean season four i mean was the beginning of i mean well actually i think it starts in season three 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 uh started some really good stories it got even better at four and it got even better than that with five and uh, by far, we—I mean—we could have talked about all kinds of um, all kinds of episodes that uh, you know propelled the characters forward, and uh, some of them were even our favorite uh, favorite uh, moments of. Obviously, we know from Time Zero with with Justin, and um, and then of course every Troy moment, <laughs> but uh, in season five. But like it, you know, it's just there's just uh, some of the, some of these uh, like side uh, stories that we uh, that we were talking about. It's just. It just uh, sends them forward in, uh, in their great moments. Uh, it's a pinnacle moments in um, their character's uh, lifeline, I guess you could say. Um, and I really think that um, I think we uh, did really well. I mean, I'm glad we talked. Glad we talked about suicide, or briefly touched it, or scraped by it, or touched it, whatever. <laughs> um, and you know, maybe that'll be an episode later on down the road that we could t- uh, talk about. Uh, but like at the same time, you know, I'm glad that we uh, were able to go through these moments because uh, season five is one of the best for sure. Yeah. So uh, next week's episode, uh, we're going to be discussing um, the fathers of TNG. So uh, go through the episodes, whatever uh, whatever moment that you like about fathers. I don't feel like we're gonna we're gonna have that many <laughs> i think we're gonna be arguing on parenting styles and anything else what do you think guys well we have a whole list i think we'll have enough to talk about uh, yeah but parenting <laughs> styles yeah you're right <laughs> i think we're gonna be talking about uh, yeah i think we're gonna have a huge discussion about wharf oh yeah yeah <laughs> wharf mm. <laughs> so that's what we're gonna be discussing next week and uh we hope you guys listen to it so well, it's been so much fun talking about Worf. I mean, no, 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 uh, going over our favorite character moments from season five of the Next Generation. But that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. 
Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Literary Treks. I wouldn't say it's totally different, but I would say there's some difference to it. Uh, yeah, I did see some elements that reminded me of The Trouble with Troubles. And yeah, you know, certainly I'm not in a piece of the action. I can see that too. It does have that comedy element, just like those episodes do. But I think this is this takes it a little further and is a little more mm. slapstick. Uh, yeah, than very slapstick. So, um, but again, there's certain tones and certain elements that do remind me of those other those other episodes. So, warp five. I do want to mention also that uh, just something that this this came up when I was working on Nights of the Living Dead. George Romero hated the word zombie and didn't think of his creatures as zombies. But, um, yes. and, and it's one of the reasons why there's only some overlap between what we saw in Night of the Living Dead and everything you just described from, from West African and, and Caribbean folklore. Because of that, the, 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 the two, basically, you kind of got, you know, undead peanut butter and zombie chocolate, and you wound up with what everybody now thinks of as zombies. Meta Trex. Just imagine the worst case scenario that could happen and, and look at all the bad things that have happened in history. And then you realize, hey, even if the if the worst possible scenario unfolds, that's not too bad in the grand scheme of things right here in the present. I was going to say some people read Marcus Aurelius. Riker goes to the holodeck. The 602 Club. I, I definitely agree. I thought that the writer did a great job of portraying Han. And Han's a hard character to nail down because... Mm-hmm. I think he. I think it was really hit and miss in the old legend stuff with Han. There were some books that really glorified him as a character and tried to turn him into something that he wasn't. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find our show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways you could do that. The best way to join the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will, that will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Justin, where can people contact you when you're not singing a climbing song in the turbo lift shaft? Frère Jacques, Frère Jacques, dormez-vous, dormez-vous, sonnez la matina, sonnez la matina, ding, ding, dong, ding, ding, dong. Oh, thank you for joining in with me. Yay! <laughs>
Uh. Finally get to hear me singing. <laughs> I was inspired by your humming on that previous episode some months ago. Ah. <laughs> well, when I'm not doing that, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. And you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So, Richard, where can people contact you when you're not trying to avoid walking through Boothby's flower bed? Please. I'll roll right through on that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you guys actually can find me on Facebook as well. I pop in here and there in the Babel conference, uh, talking trash about Wesley. Um, and I've also, Oh, you do more than just that. That, that is true. That is true. To be, you, you give deep <laughs> inspirational quotes from Worf, right? That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. War, it, it quotes from Worf and hate to, uh, Mr. Wesley Crusher. <laughs> poor Wesley. And, yeah. Poor, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you guys can also find me on Twitter. My handle is xransom. So, Amy, where can people contact you when you're not accepting a plaque from your students? Oh, I love accepting plaques. I, I want to do that all the time. I don't ever like want the kids to at not the end do of that. disaster. Now, does your plaque yeah. like have numbers on it or something like that, or some kind of equation? Or like... yeah, it's usually either pi or e. So oh, you yeah. know. Okay. All right. Well, you can find me here on the network. I co-host The Edge, which is our podcast dedicated to Star Trek Discovery. I do that with uh, Patrick Devlin. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, where I will be tweeting a lot about our Las Vegas Golden Knights now in the Stanley Cup. And is that uh, something not related to Star Trek? I know. Surprise. <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, I did combine the two uh, in in a tweet earlier. It, it was pretty uh, ingenious, I do have to say. Okay. Um, <laughs> but you can, my favorite place is right there in the Babel Conference. It's a great place to hang out, and I'm there all the time. So, If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, and Thomas Appel. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Hey, can't you see that's a flower bed? Great joy and gratitude. Today's a good day to die! <laughs> <laughs>